we're revisiting an old friend of the show on this week's edition. David Keat is the founder and designer behind British menswear brand Universal Works, which he launched back in 2008. David's been on The Entrepreneurs before, but his story and that of Universal Works is always worth another telling. Hence, we invited him back to talk about seasonality and staying fresh, what it means to be a British brand post-Brexit, the trouble with the S-word, and how his plans to dress the world are going. Plus, later in the programme, we're heading to Helsinki to hear why thousands of the world's leading entrepreneurs and startup investors brave the Finnish winter to head to Slush Conference. That's all ahead this week on The Entrepreneurs with me, Tom Edwards. Well, let's get started with the ever-excellent David Keat of Universal Works. Well, David, welcome back to Midori House. It's been a while. We were chatting before, we think, five or six years, something in that ballpark Um, since you were last... Yes, I think uh, certainly five. I think you were around Collection 19, if memory serves, if that helps you to contextualise. Yes, absolutely. I think we've just been selling 28 from a a business-to-business platform. And 27 is just launching on our, uh, with our stockists and on our website. So And looking great and looking, looking lovely and autumnal, yeah. lots of nice autumn shades. And it's interesting because obviously the, I think the autumn winter collections, sometimes they are the pieces that most clearly embody the change of season. And you've really got yes. that, that captured that sense, which I know is important to you of the outdoors and wrapping up and it's, it, there's a real lovely mood around it. How does seasonality shape what you do in terms of the approach in the collections? Because we were also just chatting about, you've got so many different horizons you're working on. Yeah, yeah, you're working yeah. a year or 18 yeah. months ahead. These are the collections that are new out. How do you keep in the, in the right season uh, in your mind. It, it certainly becomes more and more difficult. I guess traditionally clothing companies and brands, we traditionally had two seasons. We had an autumn winter and we had a spring summer and it was relatively easy to keep that in your head. Now with the onset, I think of much more web-based stores, people need a little bit more freshness more often. Mm. So you tend to now often offer four collections to split the year up a little bit more to keep people interested, perhaps. Certainly for the bigger guys, that if they don't have a nice salesman on the shop floor, they have a website. So you need to introduce new things through that medium. For us, seasonality is important massively because of the way I put things together is mm. much more about layers than single items. Imagining it over something, under something, and that's, I think, much more modern lifestyle. You know, we're in a temperate country, but it can be cold at times. You can walk into a, an office or a pub or wherever and it's it's overheated. And I think that's not just true of the UK. It's true globally that even in hot places, people walk into their office and have to put a cardigan on. The air conditioning is so cold. Mm. And I think that's why perhaps we get more fun in the autumn winter, putting more layers on. But as a Northern Hemisphere brand, I think we're still, Northern European brand, we've still had a nice, good reaction to things that we do in the summer. And we still try and show it a little bit layered, of course. That's our very much our style. We'll talk a bit more about the style and about the approach in a minute, but I want to pull on a couple of threads, appropriately enough, that you've mentioned. One is about that point about being a, a UK brand and the sense of Britishness. And I know when you spoke with my erstwhile colleague, Daniel, a few years ago, you talked about Britishness being an important facet of the identity of Universal Works. Has what that means changed in the interim? Because obviously Britain is 
for good or let's be honest probably for bad it's gone in a slightly different direction for various reasons in the last few years is your own concept of what being a british brand is and bringing that sense of britishness is that something that's always evolving has it changed in the last five years do you think yes for sure everything we do comes from the heart you know it's very much an embodiment of who we are and what we are and we are british we celebrate that and we're we're proud of that at the same time the last few years have been the saddest thing for us as a business because, A, just the workload of trying to deal with everything of the B word that we don't want to talk about. And the fact that things like fashion, music, so many cultural things were so loved around the world about mm. Britain, whether it's our sense of humour or our clothing. People really liked us, especially in Europe, and then we kind of walked away from them. And I think it's confused them. I think those of us who want to be European and celebrate our Britishness within Europe feel very confused as to a lot of people in the country don't want to do that or feel that in some way it's affecting their identity. So whilst I very much, you know, I'm British, that's what I am, that's what my passport says, but it's genuinely what I am. But I feel we've lost something by alienating ourselves a little bit. And mm. from a business point of view, giving me a free trade deal with New Zealand, love them to bits, there's not many of them, taking away my free trade deal with our biggest neighbours, you know, France, Germany, Italy, Spain, Portugal, is a disaster. So from a business point of view, it saddens me. And my business is now half Portuguese, which I think is really sad for us as an economy. Should I make a profit? I'm making half of that in Portugal. And that's a shame, isn't it? Because obviously, you know, the creative industries have been such a key soft power asset for Britain for kind of generations in clothing in fashion in style. And we draw upon all these amazing other assets we have in music and design. Mm. And to be compromised like that is a real challenge. Do you have confidence that you can weather that kind of storm? I mean, we're having a kind of a, almost a political type conversation. Yes. Yeah. I don't mean to go, yeah. go, go get marooned no. down this no. avenue. But no. are you confident about where we, we're headed and where you as a steward of a great brand can can still take it? For sure, yes. I think, you know, we have to accept the things that have happened and we have to deal with it. We know it's not going to change or certainly in any short term it's not going to change. And so we have to work out ways to deal with that as a business. And, you know, the biggest consequence of that is us having now a distribution centre through in Europe so that the products made in Europe, which is where most of our products are made, is delivered to our European customers and also customers around the world who have a already have a free trade deal with Europe. So we deliver to the world from there. So we've already established something. It's incredibly complex for us to deal with. I would say we've actually employed more people because of it. However, we've also employed more people in Portugal than perhaps they would have been employed in the UK. So overall, I don't think it's better for our economy. But we'll continue to find ways through that. I think, you know, individually... We were very worried about looking like a small islander as opposed to a global entrepreneurs that we want to be. And I think, you know, people who like what we do, our fan base across the world, they understand who we are and they're buying off us almost on a personal level. They like us because of what we do, what we say, who we are, what we stand for. So I think you can navigate that as a business if your brand has integrity. And I think, I hope ours does. And I think people in those other nations that may have been affected by us leaving. I mean, it's more difficult for our suppliers to deal with us. It's more difficult for courier companies to deal with us. But I think as a business, you have to try and you have to be a good business and then people want to work with you. 
yes, we can definitely navigate through it, but it's just boring and tiresome, no, to I be know. honest. I think the thing is, it's day-to-day problems, challenges, yeah. issues that yeah. are still caused by it, which I do, yeah. I do think are important. Very and I like so. the fact that it's, maybe there's a payoff for businesses that always valued being trustworthy. One other thing since we last spoke to you, David, though, obviously the the pandemic, and you alluded Mm. in your opening sort of remarks about digital first and web first big players. What did the pandemic do? Because one of the things that struck me was you said, one of my key places that I draw inspiration is from traveling, from getting out in the world. So you couldn't do that. So where did you then have to look for that inspiration? And what did it mean? What was the kind of early conversations about? Um, how, how are we going to survive this? Yeah, yeah, very, I mean, terrifying, of course, for everyone in, in every aspect. It's people's lives and business is not as important as people's lives and your, your own business is not as important as, as those lives. But I think we tried very hard to understand the people who we work with, whether that's someone that worked in our store and trying to keep them motivated whilst they're not at work. And stockists who, wherever they are in the world, were suffering. And we took a fairly huge financial step of giving them back our profit for that season, of saying, you're going to really struggle. We don't want to make money out of your struggles. So here's our profit back to you. And it was genuine. And we wanted to help all of the people who've been buying our clothes as stockists, as retail stores for a few years or more many years in some cases. And I think whilst we did it in a genuine way because we need them to survive but also we felt honestly we want to help those people responded back to us very positively as well in a way people realized we were when we said we had integrity they we showed it which was important from a creative point of view yes i mean for me sitting in an airport and watching people wander by is one of the most interesting ways to find out what people are wearing and how they put things together and i felt a great loss it was probably a you know, a year or so in before you realise what this thing was you felt you were missing. And I was getting very worried by the end of not travelling that I wasn't creative anymore. And how was I going to deal with that? For sure, you can Google anything and find some pretty pictures. But in the end, that's not how you, you know, creativity isn't quite like just Googling something. You need to touch, feel, be inspired. And for me, Travelling is a big part of that. So it was something I greatly missed. And I'm very grateful or I'm able to do that. I think it possibly makes you realise you don't always have to do it. So it does make you reflect on those travel things, of course, those travel options. We definitely always want to try and have a reduced footprint in the world. However, if you need to do good business, you need this. I need to see you. I need to mm. talk to you. And yes, I can do it on Teams or Zoom or That's no whatever. good, David. It's not we the don't same. Like, we don't want that. We don't want that. You said that thing you feared you were not creative anymore or you your creativity was, you were losing it. How did you then set about re-engaging with the creative process? Obviously, as we got more freedoms collectively, mm-hmm. it was easier mm-hmm. to, to start mm. revisiting that. But I'm just really interested in that idea that of a yeah. of a very creative and successful person fearing that it's gone or that it's illusory, yeah, that it's slipping I, I away. Think, you know, I, you know, I think we're all creative. There's very few people who aren't creative at all. They've just never been shown how to be, or or maybe had the inclination to be. But for me, going somewhere that is not my home or my office or my studio makes a big difference to me. And you know, as soon as I was able to go to Devon or Cornwall or Scotland, I would do that because at least that would be somewhere I wasn't normally. I need things around me to be inspiring. And sometimes, yes, you can definitely find that from an internet search. But I think for me, it's the randomness of the new things that I find inspiring. So I did really feel that I wouldn't be able to do that job if 
I had to just sit at a computer, it wouldn't be me mm. at all. And the collections would suffer from that. And our relationships with people and with, from a B2B sense, is really, really important to us. And I think that was starting to suffer, for sure. Just on that point about randomness, and I know you've spoken before about serendipity and being lucky and you very modestly just in the right place at the right time. Do you think as you get a little older, as the business is older, reflect differently on that? Do you sometimes think, actually, maybe maybe I've not just been lucky. I think I kind of know what I'm doing. Have you changed the way you reflect on your own origin story as an entrepreneur and your own journey with Universal Works? For sure, yes. Whether that's through age or experience, of course, you start to realise that, you know, yes, it can't all be luck. You're doing something right, for sure, because it keeps growing. You're only as good as the last game. If you put out the wrong team and it doesn't work, you've lost. It, people notice. I think from a creative point of view, you do have a bit of, you've got a little bit of leeway because people have seen the success of some things. But yes, I think we now think of it, of what we're doing well. Okay, we've established something. It's a very niche market we're in, and we're a small blip in that niche. But on a global basis, it can be a, a successful business. But again, it makes you reflect on what is success. When we tried to get to a million pounds or dollars, and we got there, was that success? And if you try and get to 10 million pounds or dollars, is that success? What do people perceive as success? Generally, as a business, people are going to look at how much you've made purely from a monetary sense. And as a self-financed, non-limited company, no one really knows because unless they've got access to our books, they don't know how many pieces we sold, how much profit we made. So what, you know, what is success? And I've never, my partner never considered the money side of it as the symbol of success. So if it's not the money, whilst you need it, and none of us want to be poor, and we definitely want to invest in the next season and do great things and be able to do that travel. And what do you do with this thing? What is it? Is it success? And especially as an entrepreneur, a lot of people can be driven by money. But I think very few people get up in the morning just desperate to earn some more money. They want to be a success. But what, what is that? Certainly for me, on a personal level of being driven to succeed was for people to say hey, that guy did a good job. And a lot of people in the industry say that to me now, which is beautiful and lovely and, and humbling. So that's part of success for me. But I think that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs must have to ask themselves. Let me ask you a little bit about the emphasis in terms of in fashion and across so many sectors across retail. There's this changing narrative around genuine sustainability. And obviously lots of people are minded to avoid greenwashing, being seen to be making an you know, empty rhetoric that doesn't that's not backed up by meaningful action. Now, you've always taken a very responsible approach to manufacture. It's always been striking your enthusiasm. Well, this this necessity to go and engage with every producer, be present, understand process. Mm. Does it concern you how that football of sustainability has been kicked around in in fashion because obviously there are some big players who are still doing collections you know new collections daily yeah, yeah. heaven knows yeah. the impact that that has yeah, yeah. but yeah. is it a worry for you or is just the fact that it is a conversation every day almost is that completely positive it's not completely positive for sure at all we would love to be more and, and i almost don't want to even use the word sustainable we would like to be less damaging than we are we make new things so we damage something or we, you know, we use resources, let's put it that way. But we know there's too much stuff out there. We need a lot less things. And 
very cheap things devalues the thing itself. Scale does have, have value, of course, but the smaller things tend to be maybe not as perfect, but they just have more life and more, more, more things to cherish. And I think if we celebrated those more, then maybe we wouldn't want as many new things all of the time. I think the problem with that S word of sustainability is that it's too simple. Complex things often needs complex answers. Someone wrote to me, are you going to stop using polyester? It's a really simple question. Is that a yes or no? The simple answer is yes, but the real answer is yes, I'd like to. The actual current answer is no, but I'm working towards that. That's another sentence or another paragraph or a book about how do you take polyester out of the system when in so many places in clothing, it's what makes clothing work. How do you not use polyester from a performance point of view? Mm. So it's a it's a big, complex thing. We really have always, always, from the beginning, wanted to be as sustainable. For us, that is about being, A, a good company, treating people well, treating the people who make the product well, having respect for them and your customer, and not overselling, not pushing. You know, don't buy a new shirt if you don't want it. And sometimes it's not a need. It's definitely a want. It, you just want to feel great that day or that week and have something that you oh, that'd be really cool to have something that doesn't make you a bad person at all we just need to think about the value of the product itself and why it was made and who made it yeah and consumers need to bring a bit of that you know it talks about purposeful purchase and all the rest of it but they need yeah. to bring a bit of purpose to their decision yeah, yeah. making it's yeah, not yeah. it's not all on the on the producers yeah. to, to carry the can yeah. the universality of universal works how does that shape your perception the image you have of your customer do you have a consumer in mind is there a sort of proto universal works customer or is it actually um, part of the rigor to try and not do that honestly it's always just been one big wardrobe for me it's the <laughs> things i want often the best and uh, if everyone else likes it brilliant fantastic that helps me enormously but you have to have some belief in the things that you like that other people will like i sort of actively don't want to think of it in terms of age i sort of don't want to think about it in terms of gender and it's like you know a lot of women buy our clothes i want people to like it because of what it is and not not because it's a you know a trend we make the things that we love and we have a big collection because I've got a very eclectic taste in, in clothing. And honestly, I genuinely think someone who's 18 or 80 can wear our clothes. It's about them and their headspace. And so who do I want to dress? I don't know. I want to dress the world. There's a lot of people out there who could look better. If you're going to buy something, buy something that looks great. And I've got one. So come to us. It's definitely not about an age and it's definitely not a person. But if there is someone, it's me. I love it. It's a state of mind. Uh, yeah, David. Yeah. Final thought quickly. Yeah. What are you excited about? 2023 is going to be upon us before we know it. We already talked about having to try and be seasons ahead, years ahead. Yeah. How do you keep a grip on all of that? And what makes you get out of bed every day and say, I can't wait to get cracking with this? What makes me excited is I love what I do, genuinely love it. And I'm, I feel blessed that I'm allowed to do it. So just being able to go and, you know, sketch something or sometimes these days even ask someone else to sketch something as we've grown a little is a total joy. So that's exciting for me. We've recently opened the store with a partner in Berlin. That's so exciting that we have somewhere, you know, in a, another capital. Those opportunities that I would like to keep looking at. 
And just the very fact that we've grown through a very turbulent time and people are saying what they're saying is genuinely, genuinely exciting. So there's, there's, a, you know, there's lots of small things, but the next collection to me is always going to be the best. I don't know if it is, but I, I, I hope it is and I want it to be. So that in, genuinely in itself is exciting. David Keat, wonderful to chat with you as always. Thanks for coming in to see us again. Thanks for having me. Huge thanks to David. And do head on over to universalworks.co.uk to check out all the latest, including the new Hotel Deluxe collection. Or visit their stores in London and Nottingham, pop into their partnership locations in Birmingham and Berlin, or find David's fine wares at wholesale stockists around the world. There are more than 250 to choose from. That's your Christmas gift sorted. Next up, organised in the Finnish capital Helsinki each winter, Slush is one of the world's leading startup events. This year it attracted more than 12,000 entrepreneurs and investors. Despite the freezing cold, the participants struck major deals, launched new products and flaunted their innovations. We sent our correspondent in the city, Petri Burtsov, to find out more. He filed this report. What began as a small student-organized event in 2008 has over the years grown into quite possibly the largest concentration of venture capital in the world. The nearly 3,000 investors at this year's slush represented a whopping $4 trillion in capital assets, of which roughly a quarter is invested in startup companies. No surprise then that people with ideas and innovations from all over the world had braved the cold Finnish winter to try and catch the attention of those looking for the next big thing. I'm Thomas and I'm one of the founders of Luminous Labs. Besides me is Babsi, she's the second founder of the company and what we do is basically we try to enhance the human health span by the use of light. That sounds uh, really super interesting. You're using, you need to go into more detail on that. How do you use the light and how does it, uh, it basically makes me live longer. Exactly, you summarized it perfectly. Um, it's a certain very specific spectrum of light. So it's between six and 900 nanometers. And science has found that this spectrum of red and near-infrared light is absorbed through the skin, goes into our cells and creates more cellular energy within the mitochondria. So our body is basically overclocked like a computer, has a surplus of energy at its capacity that it can use for many processes, from beauty to performance, but most importantly, longevity. And in very practical terms, like how would I get to enjoy this life-enhancing uh, uh, technology? At the moment, we produce, uh, we call them light pots. Basically, it's a whole experience where you stand or lay in front of it. It shines on your body and completely irradiates your body with light and you get the effect. You might think that light pods that make you live longer are among the most out there inventions at Slush, but you'd be wrong. So my name is uh, Karen Ebbinghaus. I'm the CEO of Air on Road and we are exactly that, electricity on road. So it is a bit crazy and science fiction-like, uh, but we charge EVs while they are driving. So have you ever played with uh, like a Skeletico Carrera car track when you were little? That's about all I did when I was a kid. 
it's like that but in real in real size so we place a rail on the road and we connect the car and you can basically drive with infinite range but have small batteries on board that's unbelievable and i i suppose this is you know you have a pilot road already somewhere this is something that you people can actually see somewhere Exactly. So we have a, a project which is uh, financed by the Swedish Transport Administration in Lund, where we're located in the southern part of Sweden. So we have deployed one kilometer of electrical road and we have retrofitted several different kinds of vehicles to show the interoperability of the system to be able to address, yes, all kinds of EVs. Slush is a tech event, yes, but it's about much more than, say, cloud computing or software solutions for companies. This year saw several startups from fields such as fashion, mobility, city planning, nutrition and health. For the participants, the two days of Slush are filled with meetings, negotiations, networking and partying. There is so much hype and positive energy that it can be almost overwhelming. All of this can only be achieved in physical face-to-face -face meetings that Slush is all about. So it's our first time being here. It really is like it. You can feel something in the air of people sitting around, connecting not only on phones, on laptops, but really face-to-face. -face. That's what really matters to me basically so it's really cool the matchmaking tool really works we had many awesome meetings of interesting people we would never would have met anyways from all around the world so it definitely works and a great recommendation to come here as well sometime i mean i love slush it's a fantastic event and you can truly feel the heart and the positive spirit of it and you know yesterday we were waiting in line to get you know a random ice cream or something we met a very interesting company that we will continue the discussions to see if we can find a partnership with so much groundbreaking technology on display at slush it is a good place to take stock of where the world is headed what may seem totally otherworldly and futuristic now will one day be part of our daily lives one such technology is quantum computers i'm mikko Möttönen. I'm a co-founder of G-Scientist of IQM and also a professor of quantum technology at Aalto University and VTT. Quantum computer is basically like a normal computer because it solves computational tasks, but it uses quantum mechanics. So it can solve them in very many different ways that are impossible basically for normal computers. And that's why it then can give the results faster. How is this technology changing the world? What are some of the practical applications of it? Well, quantum computers are not good for everything, but it's it's known that there's a huge amount of applications known for quantum computers. It, it feels that like at almost every industry is going to change. For example, optimizing traffic flows or, or something else, solving uh, how to synthesize new molecules, maybe for drug development, maybe for uh, making fertilizers, um, and there's lots of other applications as well. IQM really summarizes the promise that technology holds in solving some of the humanity's major challenges. It's not just tech for the sake of tech, but using the best technological know-how we have for the benefit of all. This is what makes Slush interesting, even if you don't have millions to spend on startups or are not that interested in tech. And yes, I want one of those life-enhancing light pods. For Monocle in Helsinki, I'm Petri Burtsov.
Thanks, Petri. And you can learn more about Slush and pre-book for the 2023 edition by heading to slush.org. That's all for now. This programme was mixed and edited by Jack Dewars and by Laura Kramer. My thanks to them both, as always. And of course, thanks once again to David and all the Universal Works team and to Petri in Helsinki. Listen again and find out more about the entrepreneurs at monocle.com or follow us and catch up with the archive via your preferred podcast platform. I'm Tom Edwards. Goodbye and thanks, as ever, for listening to The Entrepreneurs.